Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Calling a Man's Answers show, episode number 95. Today we got Jason Scoop on the show. Jason Scoop is a comedian, actor, and impressionist from New York, New York, and he's an awesome, intelligent, hilarious man. Take a listen. What's going on, guys? My name is Jason Scoop. I'm a stand-up comedian, impressionist, actor, what have you, from uh, New York, New York. This is where I was born and raised. And uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, man, let's start with that. How did you get into doing impressions and stand-up comedy? Has it been something you've done since you were little? How did you get into it, man? I started doing impressions when I was in third grade. I was, uh, I would watch Saturday Night Live and I was born 1991. So I just turned 30 in October. So I was in elementary school and it was the, it was an election year, third grade. It was George W. Bush versus Al Gore. And I remember watching Daryl Hammond on SNL imitate Bush and everything. And I just, I was like mesmerized. Like I had seen SNL in the past. I've seen, you know, even as a kid, Weekend Update and everything. But this guy, the way he was able to just become another person, I was blown away. And then I just went to school and I started doing it. And then the kids would like, because I was kind of shy prior to that. And this kind of helped me break out of my shell. The kids loved the impressions. And then by the time I got to middle school, it actually started to get good, like really good. Like, I guess my voice matured a little bit. Uh, teachers would be like, I remember my social studies teacher, she'd be like, all right, we're going to start class, but before just, you could do some impressions to get it out of your system. I love it. The class loves it. So it just, you know, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. And one of the coolest things I've talked to a couple stand-up comedians now on this podcast, which is interesting that I have, but one of the coolest things about comedy is you get to take specific current events and specific things and stories in your life and, and, like you said, either become a new character, make it funny, or just make the circumstances that are maybe traumatic funny. And so with you specifically, how do, how do you think doing stand-up comedy has transformed your life specifically? And how do you think you transform your stories of your life into what you do? Okay. Uh, firstly, how stand-up comedy has transformed my life is the people that I've met and the places that it has taken me are places that I never in a, if I lived till a million years, would have ended up like Wapakoneta, Ohio, or small towns outside of Seattle. Just it's, it's, it put me in touch with people that I never, ever would have met. And um, in terms of uh, stand-up, definitely, yeah, therapeutical. It's a way to, because everybody has something to say, but a lot of people just never get out and say it. They just end up, they're just sitting on the couch, they're screaming at the TV, they're, you know, on Facebook, you know, screaming to their little, you know, whatever their tiny, small friend group is. So to be able to have the outlet of stand-up comedy and, and especially how I do it, I talk about current events with the impressions. I tell stories about my own life. I talk about, you know, pop culture and I mix it all together. And yeah. Yes, dude. I, I, was, I was just watching one of your um, impressions of Trump in disguise. And so I yeah. totally see that. Yeah, it's, it's a hilarious how you do it because, um, you know, a lot of people do Trump, but I think you do it in a way where it's very original and unique. So that's, that's dope, one. And second off, so I talked to this dude, Trent Ma Mabry, not too long ago, and he's a stand-up comedian. 
And one of the coolest things about arts in general, whether it be music or even like theater, I guess you could say acting, is it all has this sense of uniqueness and, and telling your own story and through it. Yeah. One of the coolest things about stand-up comedy, like you said about current events, is you can take something that people are struggling to understand and place your own twist on it and have some seriousness, but like then finish it on a punchline and make everyone laugh. And so it's almost like you said, like a therapeutic session for like the world, especially- yeah us like politics and current events yeah and i'm able to do things in a palatable way like i i could do i could perform in front of a group of people like take trump for example who hate donald trump i can go up and talk about him in a way that's palatable to them i could go into a room where they voted for him it's a hundred percent of the audience voted for him and they'll love it too um without compromising much of how I, my own opinion, but you just tweak a little tiny thing here, a little tiny thing there, and then it works. But, um, you know, going back to the impressions and how it mixes into my standup, um, I remember when I first started, people would talk shit about impressionists because a lot of impressionists, they're good at the impressions, but they're not that great at writing jokes. So it would be like, well, this would be uh, John Travolta at McDonald's ordering coffee. And what I pride myself on is the fact that I truly, I think the joke comes first. And then if you're, the impression, if you pull it off like I do, you build it into the joke and that's that perfect marriage of the two. Like for instance, I talk about Donald Trump. I have, I've met Donald Trump. I have impersonated Donald Trump right in front of him and he gave me, he was like, he loved it. He's like, he's better than the pros. He is a pro. And how that happened, I just tell that story on stage. And basically, uh, the day he announced he was running for president, the day he famously came down the escalator, I was out in New York City drinking with fellow comedian friends that night. And we're all just kind of joking about it because it was all so new. And like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. The guy from The Apprentice. And I was drinking shots of tequila. And this idea just came out of nowhere. It just came to me. I'm very blessed that it did. And I just look at my buddy Mike and I say, dude, what if I got a Trump 2016 tattoo? I had never gotten a tattoo in my life. And I literally just thought it would be silly because I kind of like, I, I've always idolized like the guy who walked across the Twin Towers back in the 70s because he did that artistically, but he did it just to do it. He was just compelled to do it and he did it. So I came up with the Trump tattoo idea. My buddy Mike goes, dude, if you get that shit, I'll pay for it. And then, you know, six shots later, me, my whole group of comedian friends, we end up on McDougal Street. They're about to close the shop. The guy's like, oh, we close, come back tomorrow. They're like, no, 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 you don't get it. This guy wants to get a Trump 2016 tattoo. He literally opened the shop back up, called his tattoo artist who was about to step on the subway. He's like, this guy wants to get a Trump 2016. It's crazy. You got to come back. We get it, it's four in the morning. I post it on social media. Everybody thinks it's crazy, but everybody's like, oh my God, Jason, you gotta use it to get publicity. You know, it was just, at, at the time, everybody loved it because this was so early in the game. Even New Yorkers who are diametrically opposed to Donald Trump, everybody thought it was funny. This was still so early in the game. And then, so I tweeted him, I tweeted him, thought maybe he would see it and retweet it. He didn't see it. And then he announces he's doing a book signing. So I show up at the book signing, I show him the tattoo, and then it just went from there. I ended up showing him the impression. I mean, it was, it was incredible. 
that is an insane story for one but two if you could talk about it like has like you know the whole political diversion now since that you know has that tattoo changed your life too in a sense well i'll tell you this people always ask because trump is such a di uh, uh divisive yeah. topic they're like you ever get any shit did anybody ever try to fight you and i tell honestly i say I, I don't try to hide it. I'll be short sleeve shirt. I'll be riding the New York City subway system. People see it and they'll ask about it. And then I'll tell them the story just like I just told it to you. I'll be like, you know what? I was, it, was, it was like the day he announced I was drunk. I thought it'd be funny. And that's the truth. <laughs> and then I've never, ever really had that much opposition. Even, I, I don't know if it's my personality, my friendliness, the way I describe it, but even people who hate him, uh, they're like, wow, that is an amazing story. <laughs> well, too, it was before the whole polarization, right? It was before the whole, like, his actual presidency. And yeah, I mean, it was so early in the game. But even all throughout, even in the, 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 his most, like, any huge controversy you could think of, it always, this tattoo, what's crazy is that it always put a smile on someone's, even if the biggest hate, it's just... It's such a unique situation. And that's kind of the beauty of the magic, I would say, of me getting it. And I mean, some people, you know, they'll be like, that tattoo, what a dumb tattoo. I'm like, you have an octopus going up your arm. I'm like, this led me to meet a president of the United States of America, you know? And then they're like, damn, you know, that's, I can't argue that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, a story like that, too, it's like specifically for standout, it, it creates so many ways you can take it. Right. Like mm -hmm. you can take it like like you can just tell the story to your friends, but make it comical because that's what you do. And then you could also be on the biggest stage in the world and tell that story and make everybody just die laughing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when if I hit every beat like this, I could stretch this story out because there's so many little details. And then when you're telling a story on stage, it's almost like a form of hypnosis, especially like if you're good at storytelling, it's like, if, if I move my hand here, I'll see like 300 people move their head there. If I go here, they'll go there because they're hanging on every single word. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's something very special, very unique. And it's, it's difficult to describe, but when you have a really good story, it, it's, it, I, I would say it's almost like a form of hypnosis. And I, and I could say that because I've been on the other end. I've sat in an audience when somebody's up there telling a story. If you're listening to a really good storyteller, it's almost like you go into a trance or something. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, so one of the things that I do, so I'm studying to go to law school, but I'm mm -hmm. a senior in college and I'm a double major in politics and government and philosophy just because like that's kind of the way to get to law school, you know? Yeah. But I study, one of the things I've done is study like influential leaders or writers of the 20th century. Um, and one of the things that you see, and I talked to Trent Mabry about this, actually another stand-up comic. Mm -hmm. I talked about one of the things you see with really, really, really famous uh, political leaders and speakers 100 is they have the ability to one tell stories and two grab the audience and make them so captivated that they, they can't you can't move your eyes and yeah. i think to an extent uh stand-up comics have the exact same ability it's the ability to get up on stage and use your voice because it's not like singing because singing it's like you're 
you're more like feeling the music and the emotional yeah. side, but the speech part of it, it makes you like almost, like you said, mesmerized. And, and I think it's what the grace, greatest speakers and what the great stand-up comics all have is this ability to make you in the audience not move, might not check your phone, not, not talk to the person next to you. You're locked on them the entire time. Yeah, if done properly, that's the result. And it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible feeling. So for you specifically, how, well, what is like the joke writing process and how long does it take you? Do you spend months before? Do you try it out when you write it? If you have a thought in a night, what is the joke writing process for you? So my process is a little unique because it's sort of multifaceted. The first type is sometimes I'll just come up with a whole joke literally on the spot like the, uh, the entire thing will pop into my head like for instance years ago this is back during the obama presidency um th- uh they arrested these two halal guys i don't know if you have halal food where you're from but it's sort of like middle eastern lamb over rice they arrested these two halal guys because they wanted to join isis and their plan was, it's here in New York, they lived in a very, uh, they were arrested in a very kind of uh, hipster, which is a term that was used very widely back then, hipster town in Brooklyn, neighborhood in Brooklyn, Williamsburg. And their plan was they wanted to blow up Coney Island. So immediately I'm like, they were arrested in the hipster town. They wanted to attack Coney Island instead of something like mainstream, like the Empire State Building. It's like, so I'm like, boom, they're hipster terrorists. And I just wrote every single thing. And they're like, we want to attack real New York. In fact, we will only do jihad off the L train, which is like a very bougie train line. And the whole thing came to me. So that's an example of when I just hear something and boom. The other way I write is on stage where I'm literally on stage telling jokes that I've already written and have of already established work. But if the energy is right, and I kind of look at performing as like a conversation. It's almost like a game of ping pong. It's the, you say something, the audience gives it the energy back. You say something, the audience gives the energy back. And you kind of, it's a dance. It's like a, just a sort of rhythmic thing. And if I find the right crowd and they're really feeling what I'm saying and I feel comfortable enough to just go, things will just come out of me. I won't even, I'll get off stage. I'm like, that was great. What you said about, I'm like, what? I, Cause I don't even remember. That's why I film every set because a lot of the stuff I come up with is just basically I feed off the energy of the crowd and I'll literally come up with jokes on the spot. So that's the second way. And then the third way is literally just my life. <laughs> like I'll just be living. Things will happen. And then like the Trump story, perfect example, makes its way to the stage. So those are my three processes. Um, I'll hear something and boom, the whole thing will come to me. The second is on stage, pretty much improvising in the moment, but I film it and then I, from there I write it down and it becomes a regular part of the act. And the third way is just living life, just being outside, things happen. I tell the story. Obviously you work a punchline into it. You put it into a neat package with a nice bow on top. But yeah, those are my three ways that I write. I don't know if you said it or if I missed it or if you didn't say it, which way do you like mostly use? Are they all like equal or does one have, which way do I mostly use? Definitely not the first one, which is I'll hear a new story and the whole thing will pop. That's the rarest. Um, The most common is when I'm already on stage, 
doing things that already work. I've established a rapport with the audience. My confidence is there. Boom. Then things just come out. Um, and then, but I would say my most enjoyable is definitely when just life happens and then I make it to the stage. Yeah. yeah I feel like, like people always like, like, let's say you're watching a special, right? And you're thinking like, how do these people come up with these stories? And then you think about it and you're like, you know what, actually some crazy shit's happened to me. And if I was funny, yeah. I'd be able to interpret it in a, such a, such type of way. I want to ask you this though, because, you know, I think this is an important place to touch on. How has, like, I mean, you live in a very, very, very uh, live scene action, right? Like yeah. you live in the place where stand-up comedy is super, super prominent, but how has the digital age influenced you and made you successful or not? How has things like TikTok, Instagram affected your relationship to success? That is a great question because I was running around the New York City comedy scene for years and I became popular, you know, <laughs> something I heard when I first started and definitely showed itself to be true is they say comedy is like high school. It's there's the popular kids and there's the, there's different groups, there's different cliques. So basically I work really, really hard to rise to, to a, be in a notable place in the New York City comedy scene. But what I've come to discover is, I mean, this is a really difficult thing to really, you could get TV credits. There's a bunch of guys who have done Conan a bunch of times, but their visibility is still low. And I would always see, there was always like this little beef between like internet comics, like people on Instagram and then TikTok came up and then, uh, you know, guys who are out there every night. And at one point I was on the side of like, no, you got to be true to the struggle and just do it the, you know, the, the old school way. And then the pandemic happened and I got on TikTok and the TikTok kind of just exploded. And I started getting recognized different places. And I started, people would reach out and they're like, oh, can you do a for me? And I would start charging. And I started to make more money and become better known from a wider variety. So I would say that um, definitely both are so important, uh, especially if you get big enough on TikTok that you could start touring because you have enough fans, you want to be ready. You know, and that's why all those years of running around doing spots at this club and that club, you know, at all the two kind of events meet. And, um, but I mean, the internet has been huge, 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 huge. I can't stress enough how helpful it has been to just visibility, you know, in the country and even the world. I had people, I was, I've done cameos for people in Canada and Australia and England. I mean, the internet, how was I going to reach those people, you know, just doing spots in like basements, you know, in the East village. No, for sure. Yeah. And you know, even me, like I, you know, it's funny. I, a lot of the people I've talked to, they started or they, they had a lot of prominence rise through the pandemic, right? The pandemic, like online became everyone's immediate contact to the outside world during the pandemic. Like, and I'm thinking like quarantine 2020 is when like, you know, re it really started to flourish. Yeah. Um, so interesting enough, like, th like this podcast was always on the back burner, you know, it was just like something I like to do. And it, it wasn't even something I like to do. It was something that I accidentally did. Right. And then I start, as I started like 
doing it more and talking to the people and stuff. And like, I, I know some prominent people, like I would say kind of, and so like, those were the first people to come on to talk to. And then as I started, you know, reaching out to more and more people and I started to grow a little bit, I was like, Oh, okay. This is something I can build a small fan base around. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it, it's still like, to me, it's like, it's still on the back burner, but like now it's like, I've built a, a significant following to where it's like, if I don't like, you know, do my due diligence and, and post content and post things, I feel like I'm letting my fans down and I know it because they reach out. And it's almost yeah. like there's this side of social media where it's like, it's about the, the fans and the consumers just as much as it is about you in a sense. And if you, Oh, 100%. If you build these fan bases and these, these, like ginormous like like profiles it's like it almost has an energy to its own and you almost got to feed it and continuing and then and then you can take it and make it influence your life in in like the real world oh yeah a thousand percent um and i could relate you don't want to let down the fans um yeah i mean you almost start to feel like you said a sense of responsibility and uh, but obviously and i'm sure you can relate there's a thankfulness you feel thankful um you know, especially when, like, TikTok, it just started to, like, I just started to get all these requests, like, oh, my God, I'm such a big fan of yours, or my dad is such a big fan of yours. Can you do Trump wishing him a happy birthday? And, like, how much would you charge? And, like, my first request, I was like, I don't know, like, uh, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, you know, whatever. And then it just started to snowball. And then it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely – it's a pretty incredible thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you find yourself when you're writing a joke being like, Oh, when I tell that, that'd be a good TikTok to make. Yes. And vice versa. Yeah. Um, like there were, um, okay. Perfect example. Um, where it's like the other way around. I, I had a joke that I had done in stand up for years and it's basically um, people would say, you know, oh, Cosby in jail, he's going to get sexually assaulted. He's going to get, you know, the R, I don't want to use the R word, but something bad is going to happen. And my joke is, he's like, well, I mean, nobody, who's going to do that to that 89-year-old man? I mean, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, and then I would do an act out. I'm like, you're said villain and you're walking around the yard looking for your next victim and see a young guy. He's all tatted up. He like, he's and you're like, no, I don't want that. And then you see this old blind man is like, hello, you know? So I put that joke, just like I said to you with a little more detail on TikTok. And then the reaction it got was crazy because there were people who had actually been to prison. <laughs> like, hundreds of people who had actually been to jail and be like, no, you don't get it. That's actually the perfect, that's what guys are looking for because he's slow and weak. And then I had people who were arguing the opposite, like that they agreed with me. And then there were uh, several people who were like guards who worked in the prison system and they were all arguing. And I'm like, this is hilarious. So then I went back to the live stage and I took that joke, but added the fact that I put it on TikTok and had all these reactions. I'm like, what did I start? So it's like, it's crazy how the two connect and it just, that whole saga took the joke so much higher because I was able to expose it to this whole wide world of people who had actually been to prison and people who work in prisons. And they were arguing too. And like, no, he definitely wouldn't get raped. Oh no, he would. And they were just going at it. And like, I'm talking like dozens of comments. It was crazy. So 
um yeah that's yeah it's it makes it like how we were talking about how your real life influences help you have stories it makes it so you have like real life experiences in person and online like those are real life experiences just as much as they are um just as much as like interacting um in person is and and the crazy thing about like the whole digital sphere is that like it doesn't seem like it's gonna like collapse anytime soon it seems like it's no viral uh we we think about facebook or now meta with the metaverse and how that's just gonna take virtual uh interconnectedness to an entirely new sphere and i think it's it's important to note that while like people like me and you, we benefit from social media, there's a lot of people who, you know, it affects and it is not all beneficiaries. You know, it's, it, they do have some detrimental sure. effects. And one thing I was talking about on my last podcast was like specifically for like young people, like people who are in high school currently, or even in middle school, you know, especially like, like let's say young girls and then all the beautiful women on TikTok who blow up just like, I don't know, lip syncing or dancing. And then yeah. like the young kids who aren't like super like good at like video games, but they want to be a gamer, right? It yeah. creates a sphere where you need to be super successful and, and popular right now. And that's just not how like life works, right? No, not at all. Yeah. And so that I think there is some danger to like the necessary need to be a celebrity right now through these like big ass social media platforms. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine like it's tough enough to just be in middle school, be in high school dealing with that whole thing. And then you add the internet into it and then people can attack you and they're nameless and they're faceless. And honestly, I I don't know how kids do it today because like you know like i said i I turned 30 in october so i had a little but nothing like you know i I think i didn't even get a facebook until i didn't even get a facebook until after i graduated high school so i can't you know imagine what these kids go through no yeah and it's like there's a weird dynamic between that i've noticed between like starting out and like being famous so like if you like post on tiktok and you're doing the exact same thing or like any of these platforms but you're doing the exact same thing as someone who's famous is doing it's cringy until you have fans right and that's how like people interpret it and so like even these kids who like are trying you know all the like people always say trying is like you have to try like to you want to fail so that you can grow even the kids who are trying they're not gonna be famous overnight but some of their peers did and so it becomes interconnectedness of cringe and it's like all right we all want to be celebrities right now but it takes time for most people so and if you do that you're cringy so most people just don't yeah they just don't Mm -hmm. it's yeah they, they don't even make the attempt because they're afraid of failing so it stops them from even making the attempt yeah i mean it's 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 some pretty crazy stuff i also you know when it comes to this i uh, always get those pop-up ads on youtube that are like here's how to grow your tiktok uh just do this do this here's how to get on the for you page here's how to get this and they give all the advice except for like provide something of value you know what i mean they, they don't they don't say be talented they don't say be unique it's just if anything they say do what everyone else is doing in order to, which i understand there is because that does work for a lot of people, especially if you're doing the dances or whatever. But it's just, you know, it's like the wild, wild, the internet is like the wild, wild west. Dude, it really is. I have found that I get enthralled by people who are just doing like 
unique ass shit. Like things that yeah. nobody would think of. Like literally things that no, like I'll give an example. Like mm-hmm. there was somebody I was on TikTok and I got like, like one of the guys I follow is just like updating everyone on the current events following the Russian Ukraine event, you know, mm. how popular that is. And so me being someone who studies politics and government, I it's fascinated by that stuff. So like every day I go, like I'm, if I'm just on TikTok scrolling or I just post it and it, it pops up, I'll watch it, you know, and it's, I feel like an old guy saying I'm watching like news things, but, uh, but no, like things like that, like people who like take the system and then they throw their own creativity in it. Those are the people I become so interested in. And those are the people I want to talk to the most too, because yeah. it's like, those are the people who actually can help you get successful. It's not these people who are like those people who are telling you how to be successful made their success telling people how to be successful. Exactly. It's like, and the, t- the tips that they give have a short shelf life. Yeah. You know, like just do what everybody else is doing, but put your own little tiny twist on it. It's like that. Maybe you can get one hit video, but then you have to maintain, mm-hmm. you know? And I also think that like, you know, for people like you who are, who have this entire different thing that they, they, they actually are passionate about. Like you're passionate about comedy. Like you're not passionate mm-hmm. about being successful on, on um, TikTok, you know, that, that adds fuel to the, that adds, yeah, but it doesn't, it's not why you're here. And I think, right there's, there's an important distinction to make between wanting to be famous and successful and having a passion, a deep passion for something. A hundred percent. And it shows. It does show. And it's actually sad too, because it's like most people, you know, if you, if you're worried about being successful, like I always say, one of my biggest fears in life is getting to the point where I'm super good at something that I hate. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I I don't want to be 60 years old making like seven figures, but I hate my life, you know? Yeah. Like, because it's like, it's so easy to fall in under that in America because it's like, I feel like everyone's chasing money and fame and they're, and no one's like really only a certain amount of people get to do what they really love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, they go with the flow. They do all the things that I guess society says, you know, okay, well, high school, okay, let's go to college. Let's get that degree. Now let's get the job. Now let's get the, you know, wife and kids, husband, whatever. And then it catches up with them mid thirties, forties. I'm like, wait, I don't, what am I, I, how did I end up here? I, you know, I've seen people that had real personalities, real brightness to them do the corporate America route. And then it's just like, what happened to this guy? You know, it's like the something just gets sucked out of him. Now, I'm not saying that happens to everybody who gets into corporate America. Some people, that is what they were born to do. That is their purpose, you know, and God bless them. But, you know, you, you just, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of caution tales walking around all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think that because you get to do something that you're so passionate about, your, your life feels like a playground almost? Yes. Um, there have been times though, not now, but in previous years where I would see people that I graduated with, they're like, oh, okay, they're buying the house now. Oh, they're getting married. And then it's like, okay. But the grass, I, I, never, I never felt so envious because I was doing, you know, amazing things. Like I said, traveling, meeting people, just everything, but like almost like that rock star lifestyle, even before you know, even before you're famous, if you're a comic and you're working and you're going around, it's, it, you feel like a rock star, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, uh, 
I, I, I'm, yes, I could, my answer to your question is yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, and my next follow-up question would be like, you wouldn't trade anything to have no. those, yeah, you know? No. I think there's a, there's a distinguished, like, to make between, like, I, I, everyone tends to doubt, we talked about this actually on one of my previous episodes, everyone seems to, or tends to downplay what they do, right? Um, it's really easy to have FOMO, I guess you could say. It's really easy yeah, to look out FOMO's- into the world and see someone who's about the same age as you doing better mm-hmm. than you. But that's like, yeah. even... I don't want to say Kanye West because he's got a lot more problems than just, you know, you know, finances, but yeah. he, you could always do that, but you could always look back and see people who are doing worse than you too. You know, yeah. I, I, I try to live by the mentality of like, and this is so cringy to say, but I don't even want to sound cringy. It's like, like, just like focus on yourself and like, where can you go with your stuff? Yeah. Like, how can perspective you- is everything? Yeah. Um, a lot of people always say like, uh, be, you know, you're if you're you're getting better if you're better than you yesterday right mm-hmm. i think that you know especially in a world where we're finally starting to talk about things that affect a lot of people like mental health and you know yeah. things that exacerbate that like technology um i think in a world where everybody wants to be the one percent but most people are the 99 i think it's you know find your own little sphere where you can be happy and then just attack that just like and work your fucking ass off that's that's what i envy the most is people who i'm not even say envy i i am super fucking like into people who can like just fucking work their ass off in something and then they finally reach where they want to go at like like later in life because they worked their ass off right yeah yeah do you think that by doing stand-up comedy and now that we're moving towards like more of a digital age that it's just going to keep opening up doors for you and that you might start moving into doing more digital than just stand-up outside um yeah i mean wherever the door is open i'm much like i said i used to be way more homogenous with like like a true and true like no it's like i'm a these people on instagram they're posers or whatever but now that i kind of my eyes have been open yeah i'm totally open to that and actually um your question reminds me it brings me back to an incident uh about let's see god this had to be maybe 2012 i was at broadway comedy club in midtown manhattan and we're in the uh, like the kitchen bar area waiting for the show to start. And a young man who has now risen to the heights of pretty much the top. I mean, he's, I guess, dating Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson. He was, I was talking to him and he said something that blew my mind. And I never really fully, like he got it back then he got it because he was on guy code on mtv he looked at me and he said he goes every episode i get a thousand twitter followers he goes that's all tv is is twitter and i'm like huh because in my mind at that time i was like dude tv everybody wants to be on tv like it's tv but he said no all tv is is twitter that shows me that whoever was in his ear was his his management, his whatever, they were on, and they, and he got it. And it's kind of ironic because when he got on SNL, 
he got rid of Twitter because, you know, you can get in trouble with Twitter and everything. So it kind of flipped, but he got it. And, you know, more so today than ever before, I'm, you know, show business, show business. I'm understanding the business side of it more than ever. And just kind of seeing what it's, you know, it's just, I feel like before I was just walking around on earth and now I'm like in a helicopter and I'm like, oh, I could see, oh, I didn't know you could take that shortcut there, that back alley. Oh, look what's happening over there. I have this bird's eye view now and it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. No, yes, but like Pete Davidson, like what a, what a situation he's in right now. But uh, we can talk about, about that in a little bit. But, sure. you know, just like, having perspective and i think for a lot of those people who like you know who are like either in the industry or like really tied into the industry they get it like you said before anybody else does like they know what the next thing is before the next thing is there however i think with and i might might be wrong about this you might disagree with me but i think i think specifically tiktok came so fast that I, i feel like you no one could have predicted it you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no one would have predicted that a 19-year-old or 19-year-old girls would be the biggest faces, like would be the like most known figures. And I'm thinking like Addison Rae and those people. Like yeah. nobody would have predicted that those people would be literally in movies now because of this short-form content app. Yeah, nobody. And, and especially with the timing with the pandemic. The pandemic just fueled it even bigger than it was before that mm-hmm. and then it became like you know real a-list movie stars and stuff they were afraid to go out because they didn't want to get you know shamed for not respecting the you know pandemic rules of but these kids they were going out so the paparazzi started chasing these kids around and that just elevated it even more and yeah it's just so fascinating you still do, I think, have to have some progressive leaning to be like super famous in like Hollywood. But oh yeah, ever more so slightly because of these things, you can build a platform with. And it becomes difficult when we talk about people like Rogan, right? What's going on with him? And like, I think I do think though, like if you find a niche, like because there's still people like Ben Shapiro who are like extremely famous and rich from, from yeah. content and they are yeah. extremely right wing. So it's like, I think ever so slightly we're getting this. Yeah. You can like, people are starting to move slightly to the other sides, but it's like, you can find a following on, on the other side. However, I think to be like super, super famous, you still have to play into that like Hollywood dynamic. That's kind of like, you know, like the show business type. But I do think what you said resonates with me because it's like they were playing the games, but kids didn't want to play the games and kids never want to play the games. And so while there was this whole global pandemic going on, kids were the ones not dying from the pandemic or getting very sick. A lot of them were asymptomatic. So they were just like, dude, fuck these old people. I'm going to go out and have fun. And consumer consumer-driven society so tmz and paparazzi are just following these guys and accelerating it and you know the weird thing about the pandemic was it had it it changed so many people's lives for the better but also for the worse and so it's like now we're sitting here 
two years later and we're still kind of in it, but we're kind of out of it. But like a lot of people like mine, I'm sure yours, our lives are completely different. And now it's like, 100%. do I want to go back to reality, like normal, normalcy or like, is it never going to be normal? Where are we going? It's never going to go back to exactly what it was. It's like when a forest burns down, life happens. You start, a new forest starts to pop up. Uh, the hurricane comes and knocks everything down. They build it back, maybe a little better, build back better. <laughs> um, you know, things evolve. Life happens. It's like, you know, plants grow towards the light. There's always going to be a light. The plants are, certain plants are always going to find a way to get to it. If not, they die, mm -hmm. you know? If you can talk about it, I don't know. You don't have to like say your political beliefs because I don't really care about like, you know, like how people think and stuff. But what do you mm -hmm. think about the whole thing going on with Rogan right now? Well, I mean, I think that uh, the, I don't think that it's an organic movement of people out there who are just like, I don't like Joe Rogan. I think he's competing against the mainstreams, which you could say mainstream, but I mean, he has 11 million uh, viewers per episode. So, I mean, that's more than, you know, I uh, obviously as somebody who creates content, I'm a big believer in just freedom, the ability to say whatever. Um, and I think, yeah, these people, what you said, like Hollywood, you know, to break through that main, main, mainstream, you got to kind of play by their rules a little bit. And, you know, I mean, Rogan isn't even like, he's not even, I don't think he identifies as a Republican, right? But he definitely is against the vaccine, you know, and he had that doctor on and, you know, I'm... I'm neither here nor there on that when it comes to the vaccine. Like, I just, I don't, I, I'm nowhere on the vaccine. I'm just, I, I'm waiting for five, 10 years when the documentary comes out that was like, oh, so this was that and that's, that was this. But I just think that it's definitely an organized effort to take him down by the major conglomerates, media conglomerates, Hollywood, people who, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't like to get into, actually, I'll take that back. I love getting into conspiracy theories, but I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the coffin with that one. I think a lot, you know, it was clear to me when they were pulling out of the context N-word, that compilation. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are we doing? Like, yeah, that was clear that, and then they were like all talking about how he's racist and stuff. I was like, look maybe he shouldn't have used that word and like yeah i'll even be on your side for that but you can't say he's racist because he has never once said called anyone that word and he has no, never, never. Said anything about against anybody of minority or anybody of color and so i saw this thing on tiktok i don't know who made it so shout out that guy but he made this thing and it was like his compilation of people's like the mainstream media saying like Joe Rogan was a racist. He's the far right. And it, like, it was like right after it'd be Joe Rogan saying something like super progressive. And it was just like yeah. this funny thing. And I, I posted on my Instagram because I was like, Oh, my following might love to see this. And so um, I posted that and, and people were like, a lot of my friends were like, dude, that is hilarious. And you know, me, even me, like I fancy myself as pretty progressive. I, I really do. Um, but I find myself posting things and talking about things on this podcast that like 
and nowadays are considered right wing. Like I'll sit here and I, I mean say, labels. I mean labels yeah. are stupid. I, I I started rejecting these labels like ten years ago. Yeah. Like I just and <laughs> like I don't know. I, I I've come to believe that neither side as a whole really stands for anything besides their team winning in whatever, like, uh, you know, there's like, take for instance, Trump again. I feel like Trump melted a lot of people's brains on both sides. The people who love him, their brains melted. The people who hate him, their brains obliterated. And I just, I always say I'm the same guy now that I was in two, June 2015. I feel the same way about everything. I, I, I didn't fall into the outrage of everything, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I mean, these labels are silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, they're there for a reason. They do have yeah. some meaning. But you, you feel how you feel. If you're progressive, if you share something but like i said it's the lines are mangled everything's twisted and mangled now so what is what who is who you know it's what is progressive what is conservative what is liberal what is what is that these words these definitions are changing and evolving and Mm -hmm. so i totally agree and and i i especially you're a millennial yeah you would yeah 91 so i think because I would technically be Gen Z then. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm like right at the cusp of Gen Z. Because I'm a senior in college. I'm about to be 22 in like a month, less than a month. So I'm right there. And then everyone younger than me is Gen Z. I think one thing that is difference between our generations is you when, – when Trump came into office specifically and when all this shit started boiling over, most millennials and people older than them were already like – not that they were going to believe what they're going to believe, but they were already confined in their in, in, in their minds and how to think for themselves. Yeah, I think for like my generation, coming to age at this time, and like I was sixteen when Trump came into office. Yeah, I if I hadn't gone to a liberal arts school and been in classes that had deemed me oppressive and as the enemy because I'm a white man, I wouldn't have had the ability to critically think for myself and be a free thinker. And I, and I'm very, I'm very happy that I was able to like, you know, learn for myself and, and think for myself. And even this podcast has helped me tremendously. Yeah. Um, well, for a lot of people, especially who are deemed oppressed and deemed, um, or deemed, uh, you know, like someone who's just a white guy or someone who's yeah. not, you know, I think they just get grabbed into those categories and then they just keep on feeding anybody on the right they just follow fox news and trump and anybody on the left they just like they follow cnn or the young turks and they just get so who they are is the ideology that the the people are placing on them and i and i think for my generation like respectively it's like it's so dangerous because these are kids that you're making them believe that all they are is political ideologies like most of the time that shit doesn't even matter like that's just right. like religion and all that stuff. Like you don't even have to talk about that. Yeah. And I think media because of clicks has made it so politics and just like the consumerization of information are linked. And so you have to, you have to agree to one side or the other, or you are the enemy. It's so dangerous. 
Yeah, super dangerous. And to take that even a step further, the echo chambers on both sides, I'll take that even a step further. People who feel so strongly one way, people who feel so strongly the other way, do they even really feel that way? And the reason I say that is this. My sort of coming of age years, middle school, high school, George W. Bush. I hated George W. Bush. George W. Bush, worst president ever. We all hate, we hated Bush was, his approval rating was like two, okay? <laughs> Trump becomes president. Bush, Michelle Obama shares a Jolly Rancher with George W. Bush. People who hate Trump, oh my God, Bush, you know, forget the war in Iraq, forget every Hurricane Katrina, everything. Michelle Obama shared a Jolly Rancher with George Bush. He's not Donald Trump. He's not Orange Hitler. George W. Bush is a hero. So what does anybody stand for? What does, this is why I say I pride myself that I'm the same guy in 2022, February 2022, that I was in June 2015 when Orange Man came down the escalator. I haven't changed. A lot of people went nuts on all the sides, but I haven't changed. I, and I still feel the same way about George W. Bush. And when Trump was leaving office, I went on Facebook and I said, I rarely use Facebook anymore, but I went on Facebook and I said, um, I said, Bush was viewed as whatever. Now he's because he shared the Jolly Rancher with Michelle. I said, in give it four, five years, there'll be a new boogeyman. I said, Trump will be in Home Alone 5 again and everything. And people were like, oh, you don't understand. I'm like, no, you know, there's going to be a new. And I'm like, well, at least Trump wasn't a fanatical religious, you know, at least, you know, it'll, there's going to be some new guy. And then the machine's just going to keep churning. So I don't know. I, uh how much do you think it is based on actual hatred for the other side? And how much do you think it's just based on the fact that we're living in a egocentric time period where all that matters is clicks and views and consumering? It's, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's a little bit of everything. And uh, yeah, like hatred for the other side, like, People are like, how did 80-something million people vote for Joe Biden? I'm like, no, no, no. They, nope. They, a lot of them voted against mm -hmm. the other guy because they didn't like him. So I could totally see how 80 million people would vote for Joe Biden because they, the machine just had them so against Trump. And I'm, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I just think the healthiest thing for this country would be to unplug from the politics a little bit and just get back to like because it's like turning people against each other who you really probably have a lot more in common with than you don't mm -hmm. and you know there was a lot of rhetoric like you said the straight white male thing like it look i get why that rhetoric was there because it's the pendulum it swings this way and it swings that way and the way trump was you know, it's like, Jesus, he was like a cartoon villain. He was like, a, he was like the ultimate, you know what I mean? So it's like, but, so it's like, I get how things, the wokeness, which is another term that I don't like to use because I feel like real woke is, you could just say you're woke, what does woke mean? Because you could feel one way and say, I'm real woke because I'm, and then you could be more traditional, like what, everybody else says it's woke so it's like what is woke but 
my thing is the pendulum keeps swinging, but you got to make sure that what you hate so much is really what they're saying to make the pen, your side of the pendulum swing this way. You know what I mean? On both sides, you know, I do. And it's weird. It's, it's what the weirdest thing for me is that like, you know, like strictly speaking, like, you know, America's not the greatest country in the world. Like there's had a lot of problems, a lot of racist things that have gone on in this country. However, we large corporations, including the NBA, just flat out ignore the fact that China is oppressing its citizens and literally murdering Muslims right now. Like just strictly yeah. just ignore it. Yeah, and, like a genocide. Yeah. And then they just like come back and say, like, well, Republicans are racist. And it's like, okay, sure. Probably some of them probably are. Yeah. But also you guys are catering to China right now. You're catering to China. You change your movie titles and things so that China can be happy. And you know, and it's just because of money. It's just because of finances. You don't give a fuck. Like maybe you do care about humanitarian aspects. But if you did, then you would be not just sitting here acting like China's money matters. Because you would be like, whatever. We'll just only cater to the United States and countries that we deem credible and not genocidal and not authoritarian and it's like we've forgotten that and so this whole russia ukraine china taiwan and you know this whole conflict world war three they call it right it's like people forget that america for just wanted like we can talk about the colonial and imperialism for a little bit but america the whole idea was that you know we're fighting evil. You know, we want the, we want democracy for everyone. We want freedom for people. And that was something that we stood on for the flag. And now it's like the flag can be burned. The flag can be stepped on. And it's like, what does that mean? Are you guys okay with authoritarian coming here? Like, what do you want? What does that mean? Because the flag for people like Frederick Douglass and for people like Martin Luther King stood for, you know, let's bring, everybody to an equal standpoint let's make women jews mexicans blacks let's make everyone equal with whites and let's make a world where everyone can be free and now it's like no we can just kill those people if they don't agree with us it's like what are you doing bro right and it goes back to what i was saying about like you know when it's riots and this that and the other over you know what have you versus uh, the capital and then it's like, oh my God, the, 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 the capital, that's our precious capital. That's, I'm like, well, okay, which side are you on here? Because it's like, at one point you're like, burn the whole thing down, eat the rich, America, the evil oppressive system, we need to burn the whole thing down. But then when it's the capital, which I didn't, obviously, I didn't, I, don't, I, I didn't agree with anybody storming the capital in any way, shape or form, but it's like, I'm calling out the hypocrisy yeah. of like, oh, our capital, it's our yeah. capital. It's like, what are we... It's like, you know. Yeah. I think that, you know, I like to think philosophically a lot about a lot of things. And I think that we're. Me too. I love it. I think that we're. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a little insight in what I struggle with the most. I think about morality a lot and rationality because I mm-hmm. think those two metal, those lines, they metal across a lot. And one of the things I think about all the time is, so I say that I say this every episode. So anyone listening, I apologize. I, my senior <laughs> thesis, I am not a profound Marxist. I am not at all, mm-hmm. but I wrote mm-hmm. my senior thesis on whether or not 
is classical Marxism what Marx wrote the exact same thing as the Soviet Union ideology of Marxism and Leninism and how they're you can compare and contrasting them and whether mm-hmm. or not you can influence let's say that Marx was at fault right it's kind of what I wrote my thesis on mm-hmm. and and so because I'm so interested in how like Nazi Germany rationalized killing Jews because they they did they rationalized and how you know America rationalized like slavery you know because even though people knew it was immoral and so I was I always I I, I want to know why morality becomes so entangled with rationality and so you know I'd like to get your take on it but I think specifically I think that when you start to take away normals and normalcy and morals out of like and you take it out and you just say whatever is deemed rational for economic reasons or for social reasons that you can like inherently just deem someone unhuman or or yeah. vi- like allow violence i think once that occurs that's where problems arise do you agree with that oh i agree with that a thousand percent and i also think that people don't realize how easy it is for a Nazi Germany to happen. You think, oh, that's like, how could that even, but persuasion, it it, it all has to do with persuasion. You could persuade, you think, oh, I can't, I'm not perceptible to persuasion, but you could at any stage in somebody's life, they could be persuaded one way or another. And then afterwards, like, I can't believe I believe that. But, um, People don't realize how, also rationality, um, you know, there's a book, um, I don't know if you've, have you heard of Scott Adams? Mm-mm. Well, he's the guy who did, does the Dilbert cartoon, but he's also a, a persuasion expert. And he talks about how people think that human beings act rationally, but really they don't. He goes, if you really, really think about it, if people truly acted rationally, we wouldn't have all the major problems that we do in the world today. So... Also, group think, group think. If you can convince this many people that this is right, oh my gosh, like the masses will just go with almost anything. So it's very important to keep independent thought, which is something that you were touching on before because you shared something, you know, you're, you consider yourself progressive, but you shared something and they're like, he's of this. And it's like, we need to covet independent thought because that's the, and also realizing that that nobody no one person is all good and no one person is all bad human beings are very complex and people have lots of different sides now some people are way more bad than others and way more good than others but overall it's a healthy thought process to realize that to not just condemn you have to really have empathy and then once you start there and uh, realize that nobody's an ultimate villain. Nobody's an ultimate hero. You know, putting these people on, people putting Donald Trump on a pedestal, people putting Barack Obama on a pedestal, people putting whoever on a pedestal. Just try not to put people on pedestals, but also try not to spit on people either. You know, and I think that that is a great starting point to not becoming susceptible and persuaded that, oh my God, this whole group is against us. Oh my gosh, I can't, did you vote for so-and-so? I don't want them living on my block. Oh, did you, how do you feel about this? I don't want them live. It's just like, if you strip that away and, you know, I think that's the healthiest place to be in. 
mm-hmm. as a country. I think about what I think about a lot is like, have we gone away from acting as though people can be wrong and then asserting that they were wrong and changing their mind? Have oh, we gone 100%, away from that? A hundred percent. Because I think Let's about, say, say what you're going to say. No, just most people in this country, I think have, yes, have gotten away from that. Because <laughs> what I think about all the time is like, you know, I'm just going to say I didn't vote in the 2020 election. I could have, but I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't vote for Biden. I didn't vote for Trump. But like people always say that like, oh, Biden spoke at a former KKK man um, rally or whatever. And it's like, yeah, if that guy was like, if I mean, we know he was, but that guy was a Democrat in office. And it's like, if wouldn't you like, like that guy if he was like hey when i was youth i was a racist i was a bigot and it was because the society i grew up in but now as i got older i started to think more about it and i realized i was wrong and i want to spend yeah. the rest of my life fixing how people can get trapped in that wouldn't that's a that beautiful thing want? wouldn't you want that but i think now it's like oh no he's associated with evil and so he's now evil yeah it goes to like the cancel culture yeah and once again that's something where you're lumping you know, Harvey Weinstein in with like a, I don't know, like, like Andrew Cuomo, one, one woman, he hugged her too long in a Christmas party in 2000. And I'm like, but that he's now lumped in with Harvey Weinstein. It's like, we just need to differentiate things. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a hug in the year 2000. Now I understand if she was upset, God bless her, but you can't lump a hug a year before the towers came down to Harvey Weinstein. You just can't because that's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. And along those lines, I think it's insane how nobody is talking about Epstein or any of that shit, dude. Like, oh yeah. Just because people don't care. They think they care. It's crazy. Like, cause like if we want to talk about, crazy shit American elites have been doing for a long yeah. time. We could talk about a literal <laughs> pedophile island that yeah. existed. And then the guy who had everybody was murdered and everybody knows he was murdered because yes. everything was fishy. And he goes back to this. I'm reading this book for a class right now called the history of policing in America. Mm-hmm. I'm taking this politics of policing class and it it's, it's very progressive. And so like I, not everything they say, I'm kind of like, sometimes they say a lot of normal t- normative statements. I'm like, all right. But one of the things is we're learning about the history of like the CIA and the FBI. And both of those play- things have been so wishy-washy for like the start. Like, so like it wasn't conspiracies. Like J. Edgar Hoover was spying on people, was a big yeah. racist, was like, he militarized the federal police forces. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And now it's like opening people's mail. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they created the term conspiracy theory to around the JFK assassination. And it's so, and, and now it's like, yeah, okay. The, the moon, I hope you don't believe them that the earth is flat. I, I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the earth is not flat. Like that conspiracy, like, okay, don't go down a rabbit hole. But if you like are sitting here thinking like, Okay, it probably wasn't just it probably wasn't just um, Oswald who killed JFK. He it probably was either the mob, maybe the CIA. We don't know. And then now you're thinking about it like, all right, I'm I'm gonna guess that most of 
the things that are going on right now don't have super elite conspiracy conspiracies around them, but we know that some of them do because we know that Epstein's real. And so it makes you think like, what are we being fed and what is the false consciousness around what we believe currently in America right now? Cause we know there's gotta be something, right? Yeah. And also just the media playing the morality people now, whereas back in 2007, the first Epstein case, they were killing every story. They weren't covering it. Weinstein, they had several tips on Weinstein. They didn't want to cover it. But now that the tide has come in from the other direction, it's like, oh, my gosh, we got to report everything. We got to investigate this, that and the other. And it's like, once again, I'm a big just consistency. I think that's like almost the main theme. My biggest belief is just be consistent, whether it's the media, whether it's uh, uh, politically, whether it's anything, just be consistent. And how people don't see through this, how people don't see the media, and I'm not bashing the media. You need the media, the media, you need news, you need to cover things, that's great. But don't come out and be like, well, they're the heroes now when in 2007 they were burying every epstein story they were burying every weinstein story and it's like you know and they're still buried like you said they're still burying that whole Ghislaine case was crazy i mean of, of, of all the uh girls that they assaulted there was what was the she was tried for three girls in the mid 90s and the, the, uh, the co-conspirators were all blacked out and everything. It was all done very like, okay, this is just because we got it. We, you know, so they don't look into the other stuff. Let's just clean it up and she'll take a deal and la di da di da And, you know, it's just crazy, you know? And yeah, people don't, you know, people think. just, hmm? yeah, people think. Don't think. they don't yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I, the book was saying is that like a lot of the time politicians and legislators of America try to legislate morality. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, it was this idea of wasps or white Anglo-Saxon Protestant people were at the top. And so like yeah. an example of this would be the 18th amendment, which was uh, probate, uh, prohibition. Like mm-hmm. That's an example of Christians, you know, legislating morality. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, another one is like the war on drugs. Um, they deemed criminals, like the people were, had this criminal, like you were born a criminal. And so you were closer to drugs and violence and, and, and poverty is linked to crime. And so a lot of what America does is legislate morality. And I think, you know, like you always talk about the pendulum switch. I think a lot of what we're dealing with today is there's two sides who believe in, like, especially around abortion, right? Like two sides believe one, like, a moral argument that has no there's no end to it you can't say that a christian if they're actually truly christian you can't say that their belief that abortion is inherently killing a life if they truly believe that you can't say that they're wrong and on the other hand you can't say that people who believe that women should have the ability to control their bodies and if their health is at stake they should be able to get abortions or if they they're they're not if the if the child is going to be born out of wedlock and they can't afford it like you can't say that it is inherently immoral to do that and so it's like we're meddling with morality by saying that whatever you believe is right and it's like it's so dangerous because it's like you can't decide what is moral and what is not by the 
I always say this by the standards of society, because if you like under that lens, then it was moral to kill Jewish people in Nazi Germany because that's what society, society deemed moral. Yeah. So if you take, if you legislate morality through what you believe at current times to be moral, you're, you're on a slippery slope with, with things like genocide and things like just dehumanizing other people. And it's just really freaky to see. A thousand percent. And, you know, separation of church and state. Yeah. That's one of that's the founding fathers. They, and you should stick to that. But also what, uh, what, as you were speaking, it made me think of now it's not just the government that's trying to legislate morality. It's pop culture and these Hollywood people that are trying to cancel people, this mob of, Pure, it's like puritanical it's like liberals which liberals that i grew up with was like freedom and just like do your thing and blah, 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 blah. And obviously that could have been a little too accepting with certain things of like the weinsteins and whatever but it's just like this is i mean people perfect example of this is like are you a fan of the bachelor franchise at all no but like my girlfriend has watched it, so I know what it is. Yeah. Um, just, they're like going after every contestant. This one girl, this one contestant, she took a picture, and in like the way, 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 way behind her was like a piece of a Confederate flag. Now, this wasn't her Confederate flag. She was at a friend's apartment, that was, gonna, and they were trying to get rid of her, and it's like, so you see what I'm saying, where, where it's like, it's not just, obviously, it's more de- dangerous for the government to be doing it, but just people just need to take a chill pill with like everyone's throwing stones but it's like look in the mirror what what who are you it's like we need to really take a breath because it's if it's the government doing it and the the citizenship and like people being canceled and shamed and everything on social media it's like the breakdown of society it's like the complete and utter collapse it's like scary stuff and it's also i said like i had a clip that i posted talking about this um you used to have to be a scholar or an intellectual who has done exp- extensive research on a subject to be able to speak and argue on the subject. Right. One Everyone's of the examples. One of the examples I was talking about was gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. You're a, and I, what I was basically saying was like, if you're a, if you're somebody commented while we were on this podcast, and because what I basically ended up saying was like anybody who has two left or anybody who has a left thumb can now just speak their mind. And this guy commented that he lost his left thumb, so I have to deal with that after this. But <laughs> back to what I was saying was like anybody, like you used to have to be do extensive research, um, and and be deemed an expert in something to talk about it. Like especially with regards to biological subjects, like. And biological and social sociological things like gender and sexuality, mm-hmm. and but now anybody can say whatever they want about gender and sexuality and just deem it fact. And I was like, if these are two scholars, and one's progressive and one's not, or they're both progressive, but they're having a fundamental disagreement about it about at an expert level about gender and sexuality, th- then you can have that argument. But otherwise. What you're saying, what you're doing is just instilling this idea that opinions are facts and opinions are not facts. And you cannot meddle with that because then 
degrees don't matter and and expertise doesn't matter and then why do we bring in experts expert witnesses for law if experts don't matter and opinion matters and it yeah one of the fundamental things of american society is freedom of intellectual ability and Mm -hmm. You have to be an intellectual in a specific area for you, your word to be considered fact. And yeah. now we're at a situation where even experts, if they have a different idea on what is right, can be canceled even though they are experts. Yeah. And, like, and what's sad about uh, what's so sad about that is like people when they just say we want to tear down every institution. No, society, things didn't just come like this it thousands of years of humanity created the harvards and the yales and the thises and the thats and the courts and it's none of it's perfect none of it's perfect but you can't just tear it all down no you're not an expert i'm an expert why are you an expert because i say i'm an expert these things you can't just tear society down and build it back up how you it's like these things hundreds if not thousands of years came this way and like i said none of it's perfect it's all mm-hmm. far from perfect but it got that way for a reason and it's not all bad either like i was saying before nothing's all good nothing's all bad that goes to institutions too mm-hmm. and whatever the, you know the experts in the fields and the whatever is in the mm-hmm. i always think that you know, I one of the things I say is like I would be totally fine with tearing down, you know, the system and building a new one if ever there was a way, that way that that happened and didn't like and actually worked. You know, like if you look, yeah. you're like, oh, let's be socialist, let's have a violent revolution, like Marx said. All right, well, like last time that happened, it created the two most totalitarian states of all time that killed hundreds of millions of people in Maoist China and. Stalin is Soviet Union. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Let's not do that. And then if you want to talk about the American Revolution, we'd be like, yeah, but that had some problems too. And it created a system where it's almost like being poor is a crime now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we're we're, the only time revolution has occurred, it hasn't created a perfect system, like you said. But the one we have seems to be working better than the ones that occurred recently. So if we want to fix it, maybe we should take a slower approach and actually do what people wanted us to do which is deliberate and right one of the biggest and, oh no go what you're gonna say well i was gonna say also like you also you need your enemy because your enemy keeps you in check if everybody felt one way about something we'd go over the cliff so you need somebody to disagree with you to like Every single thing that I may have been critical of on this podcast, I also acknowledge that there is some good that can come from every, everything that I've denounced or been critical of as I've been speaking, whether it's the media being their morale, they're overzealous or the morality and the people and the da, 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 da. things have a way of finding its way to the light. I say that literally as the sun is like <laughs> going up in my face, things like the, that tug of war eventually leads us to good it might take a while it might take five years 10 years 20 it might take 100 years but people just need to realize that their enemies are literally part of what keeps them in check if it was just democrats nothing it would just keep going if it was just republicans things would just keep going you need both sides you need a tug of war Mm -hmm. 
Well, man, I think that's a good way to end it. So thank you for coming on this podcast. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Yeah, dude, you are you're an awesome dude. Uh, I'm gonna continue to support your your clips and everything like that. I think you, you know, you're a very intelligent dude, and you and you're a free thinker. And I think people need to be more like you. So thanks again. Likewise, man. You're the man. All right, man. Episode number 95 with Jason Scoop. Dude, he is an awesome, hilarious man. His impressions are insane. You guys can follow him on Instagram at Jason Scoop to stay up to date with him, and you can even book a cameo with him there. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, follow me on my social media at Colin Demands and Colin Weirs to stay up to date with me and the show. And then also subscribe to me at Colin Demands Answers on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts or your other favorite streaming platform so you can stay up to date with new episodes and more. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, have a great Tuesday and stay demanding.